Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 156, A Feast for Crows, Samwell 1. I'm one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. A Feast for Crows. We're back to the best book. It is. It really is. <sighs> Even the first the first five chapters are good, good. Like, this is good. Yeah. It's good. It is. It is. And, like, even the way it starts, like, you can see it being like, oh, we're back with a new season, everyone, that you waited, I don't know, I guess people waited, like, what, five years for this? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> so, I have no comment. I am withholding my entire comment. <laughs> but it it is, I think, I understand, like, how it could have been disappointing at that time because you might not, like, have seen your favorite character in the book that you waited five years for. But as a person who read it, after dances out strong title strong book strong very strong a very strong boy very strong <laughs> harwin strong book. harwin strong book uh well I- i'm excited to jump into a feast for crows again as it is my favorite of the books i'm also a clash truther i feel like clash doesn't get enough love i don't know if that's just because i'm a contrarian time. bitch but i, think I don't just- know you like to throw in a little tension in our relationship, and that's fine. I'm a clash. Keeps truther. things it keeps things sexy, you know. <laughs> oh my god, uh, I'm I'm pretty excited for our Patreon special episode this month. Yeah, speaking of keeping things sexy, you know, it's look when your wife comes to you and she's like, "Baby, we got to do something for March to spice it up." Technically, she said May. Technically, it was for May, but I said no. Well, you I'm said we gotta wife. do something for March. We have to do something. I was like, what was our idea for May again? Maybe because I remember we had an idea for May, which was why I could not do this other idea for May. But it does work for March, so it does. Eliana, <laughs> do you want to tell them what your theme is? So, what was originally once going to be May Shroom in the month of May, it's now going to be a yeah. March Shroom. <laughs> <laughs> March shroom episode for March. Are you happy? With yes, yourself? I actually, okay, I'm, I'm happy with me. I'm happy with us. <laughs> I'm actually kind of really excited about this. So if you haven't read Fire and Blood, if you're into our Princess and the Queen, our Alicent and Rhaenyra, you gotta love those girls. Gorgeous, gorgeous girls. Alicent and Rhaenyra cat fighting on the pages with dragons and boys. Mushroom is the guy, though, right? If you've read this, you know of Mushroom, who is in pretty good with Queen Rhaenyra. He's in pretty good, and he's always saying some body things. I think this is going to be like an ultimate what-if kind of episode, like shit Mushroom says. We'll kick back with a drink, or seven, or twelve, and we'll kind of go through- I don't We'll go through basically Mushroom's account of things <laughs> in Fire and Blood and what they could mean, right? And probably getting pretty pretty body ourselves, probably make some innuendos. And I think Mushroom's of an interesting character, right? I initially went into my readings of The Princess and the Queen, right? The short story. And I was like, I mean, some of the stuff Mushroom says, for sure, true. Some of it, meh, maybe, maybe. But I think what's interesting is also like just his relationship his proximity to the royal family we don't see very many jesters right with the sort of clarity that mushroom provides within the main story and or fools whatever and right i guess they call them fools he never uses the term jester i think and 
Yeah, and, like, he also brings, I think, a really sympathetic lens to some of the characters, too. Like, he's, like, I... He actually liked Rhaenyra, you know? So, uh, bring some of that humanity there, too. But besides that, we're also going to provide some, like, I think, potentially useful information. Like, I have some mushroom recipes that I would like to share with folks. (laughs) I'm excited. We're going to choose our favorite mushroom. You know, not just this mushroom. Which I I do like this mushroom. I do. I... I like a lot of different mushrooms, so this is going to be hard. I'm going to be thinking really hard about this throughout this month. <laughs> um, mushrooms testimony. That's uh, I would love to get my hands, my little grubby hands on that. It's filled of plots, murders, trysts, debaucheries, salacious claims. Mm-hmm. We're going to break down everything we know of it. Yeah. The mushroom POV, if <laughs> you will. Or you won't. The March shroom. March shroom <laughs> madness. And, and if you're... If you're not already on Twitter following Davos Fingers' March Madness, you gotta get over there and check that out. Every year on Twitter, people lose friends, family, lovers, brothers to this madness. They do polls where characters are against each other, but this is gonna be the follow-up to that. You know, the end of March, this is gonna come out, you can kick back, listen to March Shroom Madness. And they've done the fun thing. I I think that the Mystery Night mechanic has been kind of fun. Yeah, before it was kind of normal seeding, kind of ranking, whatever things. You know, I don't do the sports ball, but I get it. I get the whole rankings and uh, the March yeah. Madness idea. So they seed them against each other. Pretty fun. Some of them came into conflict, makes you mad. But now they're doing a mystery night where you get to vote for a character or a mystery night who gets revealed if one of the characters wins or loses, right? The next day mm-hmm. when results are in. So that's kind of fun. That's uh, uh, people have gotten pretty. There's the the big upset was the Dark Star one today. Oh yeah, that's right. I that was pretty big. I just like trying to guess what the next one is. That's it. I'm just like, what is it? I don't know. I know. And then I give up. And I put like it out the- of my mind and wait for it to be revealed. I'm like, how how interesting. <laughs> this is the real Wordle right now for me. Right yeah. is the mystery night. Davos Fingers mystery night is Wordle for me. I was actually literally it. thinking of it in the context of Wordle, which I finally started a bit ago, maybe like 15 days ago. So I'm not great at that. Yeah, today was my <laughs> first six guest day, so that was sad. Wow, that's sad. I'm sorry. I'm not good at that. <laughs> I don't know that I've won. Uh, I don't know. I don't like that one. I like Hurdle. Have you seen that one? Warren, our friend over yeah. at our uh, patron Discord, he's been posting that one, and I'm into that one. I got Gotta check out Hurdle. Past- two days which is only as long as we have all been playing it is only as long as we've been aware of this game oh no it didn't work oh, on no. my desktop interestingly only on mobile hmm. to be fair you have a mac right that's true speaking of games i'm playing elden ring and that's it i feel like there'd be too much to say but i haven't gotten to play that long yet you've been playing elden ring with a bunch of our other friends over at the discord i've been watching you all posting your findings i, I came to pokemon to Arceus a, a couple days later than you all, and you all have moved on to Elden Ring and left me behind in the dust. And that's you okay. could literally okay. play Elden Ring. <laughs> I could. I, I have a PS4. I could play. I could. I'm playing other things too. We're talking about video games all the time over at the Discord. We talk about other stuff too. You know, we have a patron Discord for patrons in the Thunder tier and above, ten dollars and above, where. You get to hang out, play games, chat with each other. We do a monthly brunch slash happy hour. This month's will be March 20th from 1 to 3 Eastern time. 
come hang out with us patreon.com slash girls gone canon and if you're in the stranger tier or above you get those bonus episodes we were talking about at the front of the episode yeah that's our patreon it's good times fun times and besides the song of ice and fire things and march room part of the reason why we are not doing mage room is we do also do his dark materials content so at the end of every month we do not do an A Song of Ice and Fire episode, but instead cover some chapters from His Dark Materials, and we are getting close to the end of the original trilogy. I know, we're at the end of the Amber Spyglass, the last couple months, the, the hits just keep on rolling. It's a great book, an emotional book, and we've covered a lot of the books surrounding it, right? We've covered the novellas, uh, almost all of them, considering there will be a brand new one coming out in April just mm-hmm. in time for us to talk about it in May. We owe the, the HDM crowd a little bonus episode, so we'll be talking about that in May. More details on that to come. But if you're into his Dark Materials, the original trilogy from Philip Pullman, or the Companion trilogy, the, the sequel slash prequel couple of books that have come out so far, check it out. Yeah. Well, back to... A Song of Ice and Fire. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Back to... Well, 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 well. Let's rewind for one second. Let's backtrack. Let's backpedal. We have to cover what we've missed between the last Sam chapter, which was so much fun with our friend James. That was great. Thanks again, James, for coming and hanging out. But we covered our last Sam chapter in A Storm of Swords, and we still had just a few chapters left to talk about. Indeed. And some of them are a consequence of Sam's chapter. For example, <laughs> John 11, A Storm of Swords. Jon Snow, who invented eating girls out. Yes. Or whatever. <laughs> and has a wolf doggo and a big sword. Uh. Is elected the 998th commander of the Night's Watch, which seems like a very scary thought. But yet, even scarier than that is now he has to go reject Stannis. Ooh, chilling. Sansa 7. What starts off as a beautiful scene of innocence and snow and dreams and shit ends with Sansa's aunt basically getting murder trained out of the Eerie, and yet it's still one of the greatest chapters of all times. I don't know. I don't know. Definitely is. Definitely is. Hits on hits. And finally, this last hit. Epilogue. A Storm of Swords. She don't speak, but she remembers. It's not me. I have a podcast. I have to speak. (sighs) And she never remembers. That's so true. (laughs) It's definitely not me. I'm like, what? Lady Softlung? Oh my god. Next up is A Feast for Crows, which we launch off with the prologue where we start in Old Town. A student of the Citadel, Pate the pig boy, is in love with a girl named Rosie who works in the nearby tavern. He's also in love with impressing her, or power, or whatever dudes like, which leads to his untimely betrayal at the hands of a certain faceless man who becomes him. But most importantly, we get to see Alaris. I feel like that is overall. It's pretty big. Pretty important. Pretty big. Big if true. Big if big true. Big if true. And then we have the prophet. Aaron Greyjoy holds baptism rites at Great Wick. But he sure can't drown out the drama on the Iron Islands. He declares a king's mood on Naga's bones to take place. Uh, the captain of guards. The people of Dorne call for vengeance from their prince. And the Sand Snakes 
call for it very loudly, stirring the people's passions even more. Doran must act, but not in the way that you would think. Cersei 1. After Tywin's death, it feels even more like the walls of King's Landing are filled with Cersei's enemies and closing in on her. Brienne 1. Brienne meets companions and travelers in her journey, but slips out in the middle of the night from the inn, swearing that she cannot and will not fail Jamie. Oh. <laughs> and that brings us to Samuel 1. <laughs> You're probably wondering how he got back to John 2 in a dance with dragons. God, right? That That's all I could think of as I looked at this. I was like, right, we've been here before. Wow. Same path, same tracks. And- I did revisit kind of our episode notes, and it's funny because we say every week we change, right? We're like, oh, we're different. But at the same time, there are like three of the same references in John 2 that I realized were peppered throughout this chapter as we were discussing before the episode. Like, uh, there's definitely a if you give a mouse a cookie reference in this chapter <laughs> as well. And maybe we don't change, you know, is all I'm saying. Maybe, maybe there are some parts of us that don't change. Yeah. That's the core. That's our, our core selves, you know. <sighs> we did that episode with Hannah from Game of Owns, actually. Oh. Really, I know. I was like, oh, that's right. We did. Hannah. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, a long time ago. You might see someone else around these parts eventually from that their podcast, Game of Owns. You never know. Keep your eyes peeled. Mm-hmm. 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 But... This chapter, through Sam's eyes, there are so many similar themes and kind of different things in John's plot that are being played off of. Uh, you know, killing the boy, conquering your inner fears, let the man through. But what what does that mean? What defines man in that quote? Well, we'll talk about it in this chapter. It's about going down on your sexual partners. Oh my god. <laughs> A real man in the caves of the north. Gives. All right, so... Generous. <laughs> Generous. Gepping. Powerful. Sam had been reading about the others for hours in the dust-filled room. Puffs are filling his red eyes every page he turned, and a mouse appeared. Sounds like he's having allergic reactions. I want to remind a lot of people that we are coming up on spring season. I have to start taking my allergy medicines again. Don't forget. He has no clue when he last slept, but kept telling himself, One more page. Book. Folio. We've all been here, right? Before he knows that he's halfway through and, like, legitimately, like, this scene, this, like, season opening, right? This is all of us. Being like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go through one more thing. This is my secret to, to reading fast. And this is also George. Yes, that's how I read, too. I, like, binge. I'm very bingeable when I read, right? Like, mm -hmm. Saturday mornings are best for me. Uh, my partner usually sleeps a little later than I do on Saturdays. And I wake up bright and early and I just lay there. And I just, like, read for hours. And I love that there's kind of a tone change from the last book with Sam, where we started the book with him last book. It was one more step. And now it's actually one more page, one more oh. book, one more tome. Yeah. Oh, fun. I a didn't catch that. That's good. A little lighter tone-wise, right? Yeah. And, like, he's having a great time here. He was not having a great time. <laughs> Sam won a storm of swords. Definition of bad time. But yeah, I mean, Sam hadn't really eaten in a while either, just bread and cheese as a snack, which is pretty impressive. Mm. 
Sounds good. But when he looked to his platter, he saw the mouse, black-eyed, gray fur, nibbling at his crumbs. He knows that he should kill it, because mice also, unfortunately, eat paper when there is no food. Also, this mouse is so small. He said it's like half the length of his pinky. I've never seen a mouse that small. I've seen a lot of rodents. Aw, he's the runt. I guess so. Oh, yeah, he's the ghost. He's the ghost of the mice. Uh, And Sam has found plenty of the droppings from the mice in their shelves. Terrible. But he's also like, oh, it's such a little thing and it's hungry. How could Sam begrudge it crumbs? Sam is reading a rather boring account, The Annals of the Black Centaur by Septon Horken. That is how I've decided to pronounce this name. And Sam uses his boring account. Sam uses this boring account to squash the mouse, but by the time he tries, the mouse has run away, and Sam's actually quite relieved because... And then he tells the mouse not to eat the books, though, and he thinks, hmm, maybe I should bring more cheese next time for the mice. And I'm like, no, Sam, don't do not do that. God. Right, because if you give a mouse... Anyways, the, the mouse, <laughs> as a metaphor for Sam, I feel like the mouse is like very much so kind of Sam mm-hmm. in this moment mm-hmm. of just like, who who Sam is for existing between those lines of kill the boy, the big theme in John 2 and in this chapter. And then also when John is literally killing the boy, right, by taking and switching out Gilly's son and Mance's son, uh, and also killing the boy with Sam, killing kind of this fantastical little life Sam has at the moment and reminding him it's wartime, Sam. But the the mouse is like small and weak, right? And and probably should be killed for eating the books, procreating, doing nothing. The Night's Watch is like, what are you doing in the cellar? Just making bigger family and eating our books. Not like a real animal, right? Not like a real masculine animal. It's an animal, though, that can also literally exist on nothing. Right, He could eat pieces of paper and garbage and still exist, but maybe this mouse couldn't necessarily hunt to, uh, you know, hunt its way to life. So, like Sam, whose house's sigil is the huntsman, right, and letting letting the mouse live, letting it escape, I don't know, That that's interesting, that there's a way for that mouse to live in society another day. And at the same time, in that same token, it does kind of remind me of John, too. Somehow living between those lines and getting to escape crimes. Yeah, I love the way that you've really shown like how this mouse applies to Sam's story. And absolutely in terms of killing the boy, it also shows this little, you know, Sam's compassion, right? He's someone who doesn't like killing, which is part of his mousishness. But yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like John took this wrong lesson. Maybe don't kill the boy. Instead, let the mouse live. Heal your inner child. Don't kill it, but also having a mouse infestation is pretty bad if we're talking literally. It's bad. It's so hard because, like, one of them is very cute and everyone's gotta fucking live, but it's one of those animals that where there's one... It's bad. Yeah. (laughs) There's likely more. You know, there's always likely more. Oh, yeah. Well... Now that we've talked about mice and mice droppings, let's talk about the bean and bacon soup that (laughs) Sam had eaten. He's like, yeah, I had that today. And he's like, that wasn't today. (laughs) That was a few days. That was like the other day, yesterday. Whoops. He's like, oh, maybe everyone's wondering where he is. But it's fine. Maester Eamon would totally understand because he relates that books are magical and you can disappear in a good one. Ha ha. 
like this one. And Sam gets to his feet, thinking that the next time he's going to bring a cushion, and he wishes that he could stay down here with the books. But unfortunately, he can't leave Eamon alone like that. Eamon is needing help more and more, especially when it comes to the ravens and all of this, right? It's just... It's just a strong setup for this chapter by really establishing like, hey, Sam's got plans to stay here. He is com- He's comfortable, right? He's like, I'm going to come back. I'm going to bring a cushion. I'm having the time of my life reading. And that's why it's so painful when John's like, you know what? You should leave. <laughs> yeah, it, it, he finally almost is feeling like he belongs, right, to the brotherhood yeah. here. Pip and Gren, as we're about to see, are... Closer with him, arguably, than with John right now. Yeah. You know? He's got, like, friends. He's got a life. Him and Gilly are protected there. Yeah, Ish. it's way better than, as you said, Samuel won a storm of swords. Vastly, vastly better circumstances. Uh, well, to be fair, it has to get worse before it gets better at Castle Black, and that is part of why John knows they gotta go. Sam emerges from the steps, puffing out to a white, snowy sky, which makes him a little uneasy, right? Because it means the cold is coming, and it reminds him of the fist of the first men. He reminds himself not to be craven with his sworn brothers and Stannis and his armies all around him. He would totally be safe. Around him are the dense buildings of the wall. They're being repaired day in and day out, which some of the builders had been complaining about at dinner, insisting Jor never worked them this hard. Uh Uh-oh, John. Strike one. Sam watches the winch, which he hates, and he thinks about how dragons once had been at the wall. 200 years ago, they would have just flown to the top of the wall. We see how the chain is really, the idea of chains is really traumatic for Sam later on, but I think we get a hint of where this chapter is going here when Sam's like, I really hate being in this winch. Not only because, like, he's like, it's... He prefers the stairs because it's not like that, but I think part of it is the cagedness of it because, you know, Mm -hmm. Sam was literally caged a lot as a child. So, step one of Sam reliving his trauma. But before then, let's have a history moment. Queen Um. Allison had visited Castle Black on her dragon, and Jaehaerys, her king, had come after her on his own. Could Silverwing have left an egg behind? Or had Stannis found one egg? On Dragonstone? Even if he has an egg, how can he hope to quicken it? Baylor the Blessed had prayed over his eggs, and other Targaryens had sought to hatch theirs with sorcery. All they got for it was farce and tragedy. In John 2, Adabada, we kind of get a closer look at that same kind of what had happened. And earlier, in A Storm of Swords, I want to say like John 5 or something, there's a there's some sort of reference where he remembers Old Nan telling him the story of that and Queen's Crown. I love that there's almost a misunderstanding for Sam here that he thinks that the dragon being woken would be from a from an actual egg, where for Melisandre, that's not really something she has to worry about, right? She can just necromance shit out of the shadows. She has some skill when it comes to that. I think she doesn't really know. She's just like, I don't know, a dragon's gonna happen somehow. <laughs> Somewhere. <sighs> Somewhere. I don't I don't know. I don't know what she thinks. I, and here's the deal. On like kind of the meta storytelling level, I don't think there's gonna be other dragons in the mm-hmm. story. Right? I think Danny's are it. I think A it detracts from her story, which we could talk about all day long, 
Uh, but B, I just, something about it's so gaudy, right? Like, it's something, I don't know, you have all those theories of all these dead characters coming back from the dead secretly alive to join the war for the dawn and fight the others, and everybody wins, and the day is saved, and Daenerys and her dragons and John have a boat baby. Uh, some people, like, believe that shit. I don't, for the record. I only believe the good part of it, the correct part of it, which is Ashara's alive. I'm very tasteful. Okay, jot that one down. But I don't think George is that gaudy. I don't think he's looking to have all of a sudden everybody come up as like dragon seeds and there's going to be new dragon riders. But at the same time, it's been 11 years. Maybe we don't know him anymore, Eliana. Do you think George has changed? Maybe this I is definitely what think he's George has for. changed. Oh my God. <laughs> well, that's for sure. Uh, I don't know. He's like writing this for fun. Like what's going to happen? Uh, and, and maybe the bigger hint is that this is showing like it's not out of line that there were still dragon eggs to be acquired to give to Danny. Maybe that's really the truth of the matter. But what does it mean, Eliana, is what I'm asking you. What does it mean? I, I do agree. I don't think that we're going to see more dragons within like this timeline of the series, right? Within these, the mm-hmm. main books and i feel like he part of why he was so interested in writing fire and blood and in writing the dance right those were like some of the first short stories we got besides duncan egg is because he wanted to explore a world where there were a shit ton of dragons right i mean it's cool shit but i think the scarcity of the dragons in the main story is part of not only what makes them very special but what makes the stakes so high Right, you've got three. Currently, they're with one person, but as that gets distributed, it changes the power dynamics and how, like, you know, things will happen within the plot. So it's too easy to just call on them for plot device. So that's why I'm like, I don't think we're just gonna have. I mean, they can't be this rare magical thing that hasn't been seen in Westeros for a bajillion years for like eighty of them to be born. I don't yeah. see that happening. And even if 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 more were born, it would have to be like a whole thing that happens like right at the very end right like a it's a new age of dragons or something because even if some were born yeah in the last two books they'd still be like real small like what are we gonna do like i don't know mushu all this stuff i mean mushu is very with powerful. no time jump right no yeah. time jump means no yeah well his thoughts like ours are interrupted by dolorous ed who has come to fetch him for the Lord Commander, John wishes to speak with Sam as soon as John was done speaking with Gilly. Pip and Gran emerge around the corner, longbows and quiver in hand, asking where the Slayer had been at dinner because the roast ox went uneaten. That actually is pretty sad <laughs> to me. Uh, I'm they... sad, but you didn't have to put it that way, you guys. <laughs> I know, right? I'm like, oh, the roast ox. Uh, Sam says not to call him Slayer, ignoring the roast ox comment. Because he's like, I don't know, these are my friends, whatever, they can call me, whatever. He says that he had been eating, telling them about the mouse. They ask, okay, but Sam, like, why are you not practicing your bow? Because John has decided, Lord Commander John, Lord Snow, it's like, everyone has been putting too much emphasis on sword play at the wall, and now he's having everyone drilled by Ulmer on bow and arrow. And I will say, John has a good point, especially when you have the advantage of being on a 600-foot wall. And range. Range. He's got range all day, baby. If you have it, you gotta use it. Yeah. And and Sam does get that, right? Like, Sam does think that that is sensible, but he still hates longbow practice because it's hard. It's dangerous. It's painful. 
he tells them, I forgot about practice, uh, which is a big lie because we know that fucking nerd was downstairs reading books, which is exactly where I would have been. Okay, I feel like this is so personal to me because I skipped so much gym. I went like half the day to a trade school, the other half to high school, and gym was my second class of the day. So I like would leave early and say I had to do something or had to like drive early and skip that shit. And somehow I got out because the teacher liked me. Uh, and I'd just be eating Taco Bell, doing my makeup, vibing, smoking cloves, texting, twittering, and uh, getting to my destination. But like gym class... In a penal colony? That's that's even worse. I wouldn't want gym class in a penal colony. That doesn't sound fun to me. Yeah. It it doesn't. Um I didn't love gym class either. I think I skipped a lot. It was it. so it was so early in the morning. Why was I going to school that early, right? Yeah. It was so early. That's not like how teenagers circadian rhythms like work and yeah, I just like wrote myself notes. I, I tweeted about this recently. If you know cursive and you are a youth listening to this podcast, you didn't learn it from me, but adults will believe that an adult wrote your note from home if it's in cursive. If it's nice enough and like illegible, they'll be like, yeah, totally. That's so legit. You're free. Those were the days. Those were the days. We could get away with so much more then. I don't think that they A, have as many opportunities anymore. B, then not that they don't get it. I'm sure they get away with things nowadays still, but we had Different it so things. easy. They've we tightened did. down on a lot of those loopholes with technology. I photoshopped I a report card in fourth grade in MS Paint. I don't know. I don't think I did that, but I don't think I didn't do something like that for someone. <laughs> <laughs> Just as guilty. Just as guilty. I don't, don't know if I did that for myself, but I think I did something like that for someone. <laughs> Uh, a true friend. Eliana's the true friend. Yeah. Right there. Our passion is graphic design. Oh my God. <laughs> but there is actually a lot of emphasis on archery, I think, this chapter, right? And for Sam. Feels significant yes. for Sam, especially with his house sigil. And maybe we'll come back to this another time. Yes. Yes. I, I Ooh, interesting. You know, those those Westerosi, they all think themselves them their sigil, Eliana. Yeah, not Sam, Sam especially. Sam, Sam really relates to... Uh, Sam's not like other boys. And I like that about him. Yeah, actually. <laughs> Val had taken to watching the men practice from her tower window, and Pip jokes to Sam that, you know, you broke her heart not showing up at practice. She was looking for you. Sam tells him to knock it off, that he often finds himself stammering in her presence. This was too classic. I couldn't not include this she wants to have your children maybe we should call you sam the seducer sam reddened kingstanis had plans for val he knew she was the mortar with which he meant to seal the peace between the north men and the free folk sam declares he must go see john the lord commander they joke the great lord snow Sam kind of defends him. He's like, hey, John has duties. And his friends are like, yeah, but we, his electors, think he has duties to us. <laughs> and then again, though, Sam is like, look, Janos would have sent him ranging naked on a mule had he won. You know, Sam, we just, we deserve more from John. Yeah, they're just like, we deserve shots with John. <laughs> we deserve parties. And 
We have this line of, we saved him from that, but now he has too many duties to drink a cup of mulled wine by the fire. Yeah, get him, Pip. Get him. Gren agreed. His duties don't keep him from the yard. More days than not, he's out there fighting someone. I feel this. <laughs> and Sam is, of course, I, I feel like, as we see in this chapter, as it goes on, he's the last to see how much John has changed. For obvious reasons. I mean, Sam's been busy with, like, Gilly, helping Eamon, and also just kind of, like being in the library all the time mm -hmm. and Pip and Gren I think they've been like more involved right in the day-to-day -day, like all the workings of Castle Black uh, and therefore would like see John more normally inter and interact with him kind of normally and they get to really see how much John has changed and withdrawn and it it's in this chapter that we really start to see more how John is trying to emulate maybe s subconsciously right like Ned's lord face you know, being mm. someone who is worthy of a sword like ice, and that's probably why everyone calls him Lord Snow. And finally, Sam faces him, and I think there's an aspect that is kind of true of what John says to Sam. It's a little unfair, but it's a little true of, like, you did this to me. <laughs> that is part of it that makes me, like, hesitate, you know? Like, I, I, I get it. I get being mad at your friend, boys, but you also did this to him, and he's also gonna die for it. You don't know that yet, but... Y'all motherfuckers are killing him, and you don't even know. Well, he's also doing it a little to himself. He shouldn't have sent away all his friends. <sighs> well, I wasn't a great was... politician at 15, so... You live, you learn. You laugh, you love. You die. <laughs> then you live again! I... You... <laughs> Yolt! You only live twice. You only live twice. Yeah... I mean, it is the funniest. It's like, we saved him from that. But yeah, and I'm like, yeah, you also put him into a higher ranking job than what he was doing with twice the work. <laughs> it's more than twice the work. It's like so eight times the work. Before God. he was like an intern delivering wine. Now he's the oh. boss. This is the worst nepotism hire. <laughs> When everyone else in your department gets eaten by fucking zombies. Oh my god. Uh, so anyway. it's true, right? It was once true. Sam thinks like, oh, that's true. John is always playing with his sword. Once he came to talk to Eamon and Sam was like, why are you playing with your sword so much, John? Sam also says, Jor never spent that much time at Swordplay, so why are you? And instead of telling him why, John gives him this great cryptic moment where he presses Longclaw into Sam's hand and he's like, Valyrian Steel, Spellforge, and Razor Sharp, Nigh and Indestructible. A swordsman should be as good as his sword, Sam. Longclaw's Valyrian Steel, but I'm not. The half-hand could have killed me as easy as you swat a bug. Chloe said she put a lot of John qu quotes in this for me. Thank you, Chloe. I did. I almost lost it. I kind of forgot for a minute what I was doing. I was like, oh, who am I? Jon Snow? So, yeah, we get a we get a little glimpse of Jon's trauma here. Like, I don't know what Jon's told folks about his time uh, north of the wall, like, or Sam specifically. I kind of forgot. But this feels like pretty close to an admission of, like, you know, him going out and being like, yeah, Corn Halfhand told me to kill him intentionally yeah and i think that's the intimacy with him and sam that he can kind of imply it and i think they probably know i mean pip and gren have no fucking clue pip and gren live in a different world but i think they're sam can tell they're, something they're up. in their own world with each other <laughs> like, they're so funny they are they're just like 
your body's a wonderland. My body's a wonderland. We live in zombie times. Let's hang out. Uh, it's my favorite sexuality in the whole story. It is. They're so beautiful. I love them. There's also something interesting. These like the half hand could have killed me as easy as you swat a bug, and we open the chapter with Sam failing to kill the mouse. So maybe this is really saying that that's not, you know, that's complex. The situation's much more complex than that. <laughs> Shit's hard. <laughs> yeah, it does. It, it's it's not easy to do, John. Well, Sam had handed the sword back, joking that <laughs> it hurts even when he smacks his own arm to rid a fly, let alone use a sword. Yeah, I'm not fucking swatting flies with a sword on my arm. Anyways, he leaves his friends, clutching his books to his chest, wondering what men would say if they knew that their realm was being guarded by him and his friends. Stannis had claimed the king's tower. I'm sorry, it's really funny because it's true as fuck. It's cute. It's cute, but yeah. Stannis Problematic! Claimed- <laughs> We're fine. It's, fine. it's fine. They're like 16 and stupid as fuck. It's fine. They're doing fine. It's fine. We're fine. They're actually probably even better off now that Jano Slint is dead. You know, he like brought everyone <laughs> down and now like they've improved. Morale morale is a little down right now, but you know whatever. Bring in a ping pong table. What is this, a startup? <laughs> That's basically how they've been reduced at the moment, you know. Everyone's been uh, furloughed and by that I mean killed. Um so Stannis had claimed the King's Tower for himself, and John had to put himself up in the armory, in Noy's modest quarters. Gilly's leaving his armory, wrapped up in his cloak, Sam's cloak, as Sam arrives. Sam stops her, and her voice is kind of raw, and she's shivering, and her face looks frightened and wan, and he's like, What's wrong? And how are the babies? And she says, They're good, they're good, pulling loose from him. We have this exchange between them. Between the two of them, it's a wonder you can sleep. Which one was it that I heard crying last night? I thought he'd never stop. Dallas boy, he cries when he wants the tea. Mine, mine hardly ever cries. Sometimes he gurgles, but... Her eyes filled with tears. I have to go. It's past time that I fed them. I'll be leaking all over myself if I don't go. She rushed across the yard, leaving Sam perplexed behind her. We think that she's talking about her boobies. Maybe a little, but it's really her eyes that are leaking. Oh my god. True. It is true. He's so oblivious. It's something so special to me, Sam said pleasantly. (laughs) Gilly, um, I gotta go. Thanks for your crappy courtesy, you southerner. (laughs) Uh, uh, It's true, though. That is there, like... Sam does have some of those courtesies where he he's blunt with John. He's able to be more blunt than usual with John, but he does have some of those courtesies that are like, you stupid, turn around and ask her what the fuck's wrong. Well, he's also like, has no idea how to talk to Gilly, right? Like he stammers with Val. Yeah. And I like that distinction, right? Between like how he acts with, feels about Val and how he feels with Gilly with Val. He's like, she's so pretty. But with Gilly, he's like, I feel things. <laughs> yeah, you do, boy. What is this feeling? well he gathers the books that he dropped brushing dirt off the jade compendium a volume of tales and legends from the east that Aemond commanded sam to find 
Maester Tomix's Dragonkin being a history of House Targaryen from exile to apotheosis with the consideration of the life and death of dragons. Had not been so lucky, falling in the mud. Sam curses himself, smoothing and brushing the pages. Uh, I actually love all the book content we get in these Sam chapters, and I know it's only going to get better as we get to the actual <laughs> Citadel, right? Yeah. Uh, someday we're going to have such good book content. Can't wait, can't wait. But that said, these books are so interesting. Uh, so Dragonkin being a history of House Targaryen from exile to apotheosis with a consideration of the life and death of dragons. First of all, maybe streamline the title. That's all I'm saying, Maester Thomax. It's just a thought. You don't have to, but workshop it a little. Uh, I would be interested to read that because apotheosis is like godhood, right? When somebody ascends mm. to godhood. So maybe it would be that, you know, the exile, the outing of them from Valyria, but then also doom to then conquering. Conquering maybe is the ascension, would be my guess. And the life and death of dragons being the, the ones that have died during the dance, etc. I'd be interested to read that. Sounds like fire and blood. I also kind of love that Aemon is very, yes, Night's Watch vows, but also really embracing the dragon. Like, mm. as his last dying wish, he's like, I'm going to embrace the dragon within myself because I think that my family could still do great things. So he still thinks, you know, he he's still deep down, he may just be a Maester Aemon, but in his heart of hearts, he wants to help Daenerys and he wants to have books out there to help those that have to fight the long night to come. He's asking for all of these books to be grabbed, and not just to be grabbed for himself, but also to be grabbed to take to the Citadel, right? To donate to higher education, uh, mm -hmm. to give to those that will come to try to learn the mysteries of their world after. Also, it's like a long trip and boring. I love taking books on trips. That's true. That's true. They're just like important books, I feel like. Yeah. Maybe not to these guys right now, but in the future they could be. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Wonder if Danny has any matches of these books in her pile. Actually, now that I say that in her books. I don't think so, right? I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember their names. Droid well, doesn't seem the... like a great book chooser, you know? <laughs> the the Jade Compendium's importance, we talked a little more about it in our John chapters. But the passage in question that Aemon lays out for him tells of Azor Ahai, of Lightbringer being his sword tempered with his wife's blood, uh, and that thereafter it was never cold but always warm like Nisa Nisa and burned hot in battle. And it told, it also told of Azor Ahai fighting a monster, and when he struck his sword into it, it smoked, right, and steamed, and it melted and dribbled. Its body burst into flame. So... Interesting, couple different thoughts there that Aemon obviously thinks Stannis is a fake uh, and wants Jon to know that as well. But also, another thought I'm having is this exact passage highlighted in the Jade Compendium. It makes me wonder if this is what he corresponded with Rhaegar about and if this is the passage that made Rhaegar hmm. want to pick up his sword and become a warrior. I don't know. I don't remember. Um, I know that our friend Joe Magician has written and done quite a bit of work on, you know, what was likely the relationship between Maester Aemon and Rhaegar, and how they likely might have corresponded and worked together in regards to, you know, the prince that was prof promised prophecy. And I don't know if he, 
I forgot. Like if he said, we actually like, talked about thing. it in uh, John Eight in a Game of Thrones when he was on about this being a, a that Rhaegar and him had corresponded. Yes, when Joe Magician was on actually during our Game of Thrones coverage for John, we did talk a little bit about this. Uh, but yeah. this passage specifically is what I think was likely. Yeah. Probably what Rhaegar picked up his sword over, uh, but there is some pretty definite, like, he and Rhaegar corresponded. Yeah, that was like, what, 2018, right? Yes, it was. Or it might have been 2019. Oh, no, you're right. It's 2019. I'm I'm messing it up. It's 2019. Yeah. yeah. Still a while ago. I'm losing track of time. <laughs> Gilly's presence always flusters Sam in ways that he should not generally be flustered, especially when she was talking about titties. Jon Snow waits within for him. Ghost stretched out beneath an anvil, eating an oxbone. Love that for him. John is reading a parchment. Mormont's raven is on his shoulder and is flapping. Corn! 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 When the bird sees Sam, and even gouges Sam's hand a little. Sam is slightly bleeding from the raven, but John says, We all, sh- we all shed blood for the watch, Sam. Which is like, yeah, true. Not helpful, though. Just like, the bird just fucking broke your f- friend's hand. <laughs> We can show some sympathy. Anyways, John hands him a parchment. It's a letter to King Tommen from Eamon. A paper shield, allegedly. And then John reminisces about Tommen and Bran fighting each other in Winterfell. Like, not really, like, fighting, fighting, you know, sparring and thinking that, you know, now Bran's dead. And pudgy, pink-faced Tommen is sitting on the Iron Throne with a crowd nestled amongst his golden curls. It's funny because I went and looked back at our John 2 notes and I did comment on this. Of course I did. I haven't changed. Same thoughts. Head empty. Uh, total foreshadowing, right? There's got to be some foreshadowing and they're like, oh no, they fought each other and now Bran's dead. Uh, but Bran is not dead, obviously. And possibly might sit the Iron Throne. Jury's out. We'll find out, probably. I did... Yeah, very strongly reminded during this read through of Doran vibes. Uh, and it's not something that I've thought about too deeply until the last few weeks of just reading some of these chapters. But Doran and John have very, very, very similar plots running during these two books. Uh, I think of Doran, yet they are gone, and here I sit thinking about his dead lost family. And Doran knows his whole entire family's dead beyond his children. Uh, and he thinks that there's hope in Aegon, right? And finding out that his sister's son is alive. And John also thinks his whole family's dead. Uh, but actually, they're alive. And he's Aegon, you know? Like, he's the the lost princeling. Uh, that's kind of the big twist there, I think, Johnny boy. And, I don't know, you, you have these similar plot threads running of Arya, right? As fake Aegon, fake Arya. You have Jane in Winterfell uh, as his sister, and uh, even his demise is brought about because of that, not unlike mm-hmm. what I'm sure Doran's demise will be brought about with everything with Aegon. But the Arya line of him thinking of her with her hair as tangled as a bird's nest and him just going, I think we had better change the plan. And then, of course, you have the actual fake Aegon, right? Uh, being brought about as this big moniker, this dragon that people will rally beneath, not unlike what we're seeing for Stannis right now, or, sorry, I should say what we saw for Renly, a true green, before 
A dragon has returned to Westeros to claim his birthright and seek vengeance for his father and for the Princess Elia, his mother. In her name I turn to Dorne. Do not forsake us. Uh, it feels like, especially with a lot of these just very personal, obviously, like, you should not be making this choice. It does not behoove the Night's Watch, and yet here you are, Jon Snow, making this choice that does not behoove the Night's Watch. This very stark choice. Yeah. A lot of that coming up, and Doran's, uh, I mean, even to the point that he just locked up the Sand Snakes, which isn't really the reaction you usually have to lock up your kin and imprison them. Well... John is sending his away, and in a way holding his brother's lover, book wife, whatever you want to call her, Gilly, and her kid, you know. Difficult decisions from men that you would otherwise think are very good and level-headed and sturdy dudes. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of people, like you said, turning against him, just like in Dorne, where they're all like, yeah, I don't know about Doran's decisions. They all want yep. vengeance. Yeah. <laughs> but we talked about this also, like, I think in some of the Ario chapters mm. and maybe the Arian ones. I don't remember. I think more of in the Ario ones. But, you know, speaking of people that Doran is like, I, I feel like he's also very much like Ned, right? Well, yeah. yeah. Live, having lost so much in that war and living with ghosts and and that's part of what makes him so similar to John in that, right? John is very much like a second Ned, all this loss and trauma. And this is kind of really tying them together. Also, like, you know, John has seen these systems that were in place completely fail him and his family as well. Uh, all of these betrayals, they led to, of course, Ned's death and the alleged deaths of his family. Most of them are alive, John. Chill out. Uh, and even the Night's Watch betraying John and... And earlier on, right, J.R. Mormon. So he's like, yeah, anyone can betray anyone. Rules are fucking shit. So he sees the paper shield for what it is, as opposed to, like, all the faith that Ned put into his. But in regards to also, like, I think comparisons with Doran, I'm also thinking, in a way, Doran, he's learned to live with himself not matching, you know, some of those, like, ideas of what is peak masculinity in Westeros, especially as a lord, right? He's much mm. more bookish and studious. Like, he's someone who's really come to accept that in himself, which Sam is not there yet, right? But there's some of that overlap also with Sam's character. I think there's a lot of that magical overlap, too, when you think of, like, Doran uh, and, and him coming to kind of accept those things about himself and then look at Bran, right? Obviously, who found yeah. a new outlet yeah. and... I think that's a lot of Sam, right? Like finding a different outlet for those energies within yourself since they can't be channeled into the normal masculinity of Westeros of banging things with steel. Yeah, which I, I guess makes it really great that Sam and Bran's storylines cross, right? Which is yeah. part of why Sam wants to be like, Bran's not dead, but the words catch in his throat because he swore he would not tell. So instead he goes... You haven't signed the letter! And John says that no letter will make the Lannisters love them, especially not when they hear that they've been helping Stannis. And Sam reads the letter now and says that, well, I feel like a distinction has been made. You know, Stannis rode to the wall to help while Tywin and the Boy King stayed south, right? Like, maybe enough to bring scorn, some shame, Tywin into some action, and 
John's like, I want death and destruction upon House Lannister, not scorn. And in regards to Sam's later storyline, I kind of wonder if something similar will happen to House Charlie in terms of losing key members of the family. But as we see here, I mean, Sam's family circumstances are so different from John's. So it's going to be a really, I think, more complex reaction. It almost does make me wonder, like, is Sam's role... Is he actually going to get a little bit of that Aemon plot too, right? Uh, of them coming and saying, will you come and be lord of the house and forsake your vows because House Tarly is dead? Yeah, I don't know. His own Winterfell them- moment, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, yeah. And I don't know how it'll go. We'll see. Listen, Westeros just wants to destroy families, and I'm here for all types of families, even if it's your free folk bride that you freed from beyond the wall with her child from her father. But this uh, is not the child you, from her father. And a free folk prince. Like, even if that's who it is. Like, I... Yeah. That's a great... Yeah. Sometimes that's a family and that's fucking beautiful. I agree. Okay. I agree. And maybe he could be an archmaester of the fucking Night's Watch, whatever. I don't care. Or of the world. Maybe by then Sam Tarly the will just world. rule the world. Maybe, yeah, maybe they won't have need for a Night's Watch by then. Yeah, burn that wall down. I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. Well, I do know that John lifts the letter once more and reads through it. And he kind of calls out some some problematic phrases and moments. He's like, mm, see, this right here. Our oaths are sworn to the realm, and the realm now stands in dire peril. Stannis Baratheon aids us against our foes from beyond the wall, though we are not his men. Well, we're not. Are we? It's a tough call, right? John says. John's like, well, we gave Stannis food, shelter, the night for, and leave to settle some free folk in the gift. Tywin will say it's too much, but Stannis would say it's not enough. If you give a king a muffin, he's going to want to lick the bull. You guys, Mm-mm-mm. is what are trying to say. He's going to want to cash the bull. Pleasing one king is hard. Pleasing two, impossible. Sam reasons with John, saying, if the Lannisters prevail and Tywin decides we betrayed the realm, it could mean the end of the Night's Watch. Tywin does kind of have over half the realm on his side right now. John tries to reason. The Blackwater was only one battle. If Stannis could raise the north... <sighs> The good news is Tywin has nothing soon. Sam can see John trying to convince even himself of it. But the truth lied in all of the birds Sam had helped send out, requesting the North bend the knee to Stannis. Only the bird they had sent to Carhold returned, elsewise the silence had been thunderous. The Lannisters had their own Northmen, Lord Bolton and his bastard. John argues that, well, I guess Stannis has the Karstarks, so if he... So if he could win White Harbor, and Sam stresses that if, and says that, well, if not, even a paper shield is better than none. And that is, of course, to be fair, exactly where Stannis is attacking, right? Like, he is hoping for White Harbor with Davos on the run right now. And I do really appreciate Sam, I mean, through all of this, understanding warfare, even though he detests it, right? Like, he is still Randall's son. It's also painfully obvious John's not able to stay impartial even here when it comes to things in the realm. Mm -hmm. All he can think about is how Rob beat Tywin many times, and the North is the best, and the Lannisters are evil. 
And if Stannis has Northmen on his side, we could win. And Sam's like, dude, the North is over, dude. Like, it's, bro, the North is fucking over, John. Do you not get that? It's all over for us. Oh, God. That boy, that John, he is a Stark boy through and through, right? Like, he just wants to ruin the Lannisters. But Sam's politics are impressive here, that he's so apt, and he actually sees this much more clearly than John does, which, to be fair, John isn't letting on everything. Because as we noted during John 2, A Dance with Dragons, he also has that case of the hammer and anvil, right? That he knows that he is stuck between the rock and the hard place getting fucked. He knows he's fucked. So I guess for him with with Sam, I, I think the bigger part of it is that he probably underestimates Sam's ability to understand some of this. Yeah, definitely. And I think, as you said, Sam's great at seeing this overall strategy of like, I mean, this is the best course of action that we have right now, right? I mean, just because you can't fight doesn't mean you can't be a good strategist. And we said earlier, I think, in the last episode that Septon Barthish role kind of coming yes. in. But as we find out from Dance, like, obviously, and no one knows this, right? Sam doesn't know that much about, like, the Northern politics. Turns out they have, like, secret plans and shit, but they can't all know that. And they can't know that, you know, the car strikes actually, like, are going to completely screw them. But they will soon. John will know soon. So... <laughs> good thing that girl's running away uh john commands that sam get the sealing wax then that he take the letter to aemon when he leaves and dispatch a bird to king's landing sam hesitates and asks well what's up with gilly leaving and crying and then sam lies saying that oh val sent her to plead for mans again and john told her that he would speak to spanish though he doubts that he can really sway him a king's first duty is to defend the realm and mons attacked it his grace is not like to forget that. My father used to say that Stannis Baratheon was a just man. No one has ever said he was forgiving. John pauses. He says he'd sooner give the gift to Mance himself, that he was a man of the Night's Watch, and by rights, his life belongs to the Wall. Yeah. So earlier I was talking about, you know, Sam doesn't really know what happened between John and Corn Halfhand, even though John kind of hints at it. But this goes to show even more how that gap between two best friends has widened, right? Which is why all this like Lord Snow stuff really catches Sam by surprise in a bit. Because, I mean, I think Sam sort of takes John suggesting the execution of Mance a little bit in stride, right? He's just like, yeah, I guess. I don't know. That's what people do. But we, the readers, know what executing Mance and John suggesting it, like, what that really means for John emotionally. But that's not something that Sam can see because John never shared that with him. Yeah. The, the withholding is kind of obvious this chapter. Mm-hmm. Now that I look at it and, and seeing the other side, you just see how much John is really holding back. I mean, even Sam holds back this chapter, too, because he's, like, yes. afraid, so afraid to say things. It's friendship friendship being teenagers is hard during an apocalypse man it so is and so sam also relays some of the gossip from their friends he's like you know pip said mel wants to give him to the flames and work sorcery and john's like pip should learn to hold his tongue of course he says king's blood to wake a dragon sam thinks where Melisandre thinks to find a sleeping dragon, no one is quite sure. It's nonsense. Mansa's blood is no more royal than mine own. He has never worn a crown nor sat a throne. He's a brigand, nothing more. 
There's no power in brigands' blood. Under the snow, Ned. Snow. <laughs> this line, dude, really? His blood is no more royal than mine own. He's never <laughs> worn a crown nor sat a throne. He has no power. Interesting. Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Uh, I I think we I don't remember we probably talked about this in the John chapters but I mean yeah Mansell's a king no throne no crown but clearly has power right More, he was able to unite a shit ton of people and Stannis despite having a crown uh. no throne was not able to <laughs> I was about to say and the throne and I was like that's Damn. not true he did not have the throne <laughs> my bad you don't gotta um, do him like that but I mean. John's in denial. Mance is clearly a king. People wanted to follow him. And what what is a king if not a leader? So, <sighs> anyway, finally, John drops the big bomb. He's sending Gilly and the boy away, and that they'll need to find another wet nurse for the brother. Sam mentions goat milk for the meantime, and that he had read about it somewhere, and then tells John what he had read while looking through the annals this week. 400 years... Sorry, pretend it's like an HBO, like, you know, trailer of 400 years before the conquest, there was another boy commander, Osric Stark, 10 when he was chosen, but served for 60 years. She's like, that's four so far. John, you are only the fifth youngest Lord Commander. And also, wouldn't it, isn't it interesting that the other younger four were all sons, brothers, or bastards of a king in the north? And I'm just like, Sim. Sam's just saying, like, you might have forgotten how much the meritocracy at the Night's Watch was a sham, John, but let me remind you about how much of a sham it is, and also that it's part of how I got you elected. I love that, too, because it's like, it's in your blood, John. <laughs> Bastards used to get this job all the time. <sighs> Don't worry, John, it's... you're perfectly qualified. We've always had shit management at the wall. <laughs> This is the worst nepotism hire. John would have, I mean, in like, I don't know, if John had like at least another 10 years of interning, you know, or being, and then <laughs> becoming a steward, you know, actually like really doing it. Sure. If only. But here he is. God, Six fifteen. My gosh. Well. When you're 15, somebody does and you're Lord Commander. <laughs> John finally asks about their true enemy, the Others. Sam says, they're mentioned, but not as much as I'd have thought. There's more I haven't read yet. I need more time to read more of the books. He explains the oldest are all crumbled away or buried elsewhere and falling apart. And also, some of these might just not exist. The oldest histories that were left were runes on rocks from the First Men, right? So everything that we know in this world comes from Septons thousands of years later their translations, and interpretations. Now the Archmaesters at the Citadel question it all. Brandon the Builder, Simeon Star-Eyes, Night's King. You know, they're now calling John the 998th Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, but the oldest list Sam's able to find shows 674 commanders, and it, it kind of looks like it was written a very long time ago. <laughs> John's like, shut up, nerd. <laughs> I mean, he kind of essentially says it because, I mean, Sam going on like 20 different tangents before coming back to the actual thing that he was asked about, that is a big mood, mm-hmm. right? If that's not what we do on this podcast, then I don't know. <laughs> but 
you know, blah, 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 the histories and the stories, lenses of stories, they're inaccurate as they get told over the years, right? And you find out that your heroes are not the way or the songs were not the mm-hmm. way you thought. And I mean, I think it kind of fits in also thematically with what we're going to see of the family histories and how people see their childhood heroes. Like, I think obviously John's going to be like, wait, so Ned's not my biological father and all this other stuff about my parentage. So that's one way that it's going to show up. But I think it kind of does for Sam too, right? Like I, everyone else in Westeros has really bought into this mythology of Randall Charlie, like amazing military leader, great fighter. And like, the lords, you know, all these manly men, fighters in Westeros yes. are, like, all about it. Stannis is like, hmm, you know, you're really not like your dad, last chapter. And there we see that disconnect, right? Same as we do with, like, what they're talking about with the legends and stories, right? You got the Randall of the Battlefield, real respected lord, and then you've got, like, how that disconnects with the this honorable Randall, right? Mm-hmm. Really nothing like the private Randall of Sam's life, who uh, is pretty terrible, and also the Randall that we see for Brienne, right? Who defies all of those norms that uphold this image of Randall. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And there is something in that. I was thinking about that with Brienne, that like that's how you know he's such a shit person. Because it's one thing to hate your kid. Which is already fucked up. Okay, Cal Jacobs. Yeah, Cal Jacobs in here. (laughs) It's one thing to fucking hate your kid. But then, like, he also is a total fuck to Brienne. And it's like, oh, so you just hate everyone. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. You hate all of society. Cool. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. What a fucker. Uh, He's uh, pretty terrible. Pretty heinous. I don't like him, Eliana. I don't like him. Sam has been able to find talk of Dragonglass in all of these books. Maybe not purely of the others, but definitely Dragonglass. Uh, and he's actually found out the children used to give the Night's Watch 100 daggers, obsidian, annually during the Age of Heroes. What he has learned about the others is nothing new. They come when it's cold, or the cold comes when they do. They emerge at night, or night falls when they emerge. They ride the corpses of dead animals. Sam had seen that one for himself. And and some accounts even talk about giant ice spiders. Yes, big as hounds. Men who fall to the others must be burnt or they rise again as their thralls. Faster? Stronger? No one knows. John knows all this, though, and he's like, okay, but how do we end them, Sam? And Sam's like, fire dismays them. They're vulnerable to obsidian. He even found an account of the long knight that spoke of the last hero, slaying others with the blade of dragonsteel, which gives John pause. Dragonsteel. Is that Valyrian steel? Sam agrees. He's like, yes, I think it's Valyrian steel, so if we could just get the lords of Westeros to give up their favored familial ancestral Valyrian steel swords that they've fought very hard and killed many other people just to keep and obtain... <laughs> that should be easy yeah no nbd it's gonna go great wonderful plan um okay in regards to how how we have changed since john 2 all right i have finally decided reading this chapter like okay okay fine i i can see dragon steel being valyrian steel before i was like no it's too obvious and easy how can it just be right there but now i get it i see it all right the point is, yes, it's right there, but it's very difficult 
because of the human element. It's not about having finding what dragon steel is. It's about getting the people to cooperate and come together. I see it now. We got there, folks. We got there. I don't <laughs> know. Only, I, I it think only it makes me a long just time. a lot of sense. I mean, it just felt too easy. But maybe well, it's to just that been same a thing, long time. It's been like 11 years. <laughs> but like you just said, like talking about history and yeah. how it gets condensed so easily, it makes a lot of sense to me that Dragonsteel, Valyrian Steel would have two names, same thing. Just like how you have the Ifequevron as the Eastern name for the Children of the Forest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or sometimes they're crocodiles, right? And sometimes they're lizard lions. Exactly. Exactly. Brilliant. Brilliant. You or get wait, it. is it alligator? I don't know. And sometimes are, it's pronounced Gianna. Sometimes it's pronounced Ashara. I mean. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so they haven't really figured out any of the other motives for the others beyond what we already know. Sam's like, I need more time to read more. And John's like, there is no time. You'll be leaving tonight to Old Town. Which, yes, is very close to Horn Hill, and Eamon will be going with you as well. Alright, so we're gonna start with the horse, the dead horse that I'm gonna beat throughout this chapter, oh because God. it is so telling that even before John tells Sam that Eamon is gonna go, and that he means to enroll Sam in the Citadel, all of which, like, are very traumatic for Sam, Sam's first, imme- like, immediate first reaction about going to Old Town, he's like, that's really close to Horn Hill. And his trauma is just like so sudden and at the forefront of like how he immediately responds. And that only deepens throughout the chapter, which becomes more and more about, you know, defying Randall. And as opposed to like, he doesn't even want to risk being near his dad. That's like yeah. how bad it is. And again, the beginning of the chapter really highlights how like, despite the wall being so close to like, all of these attacks and death, it's a crumbling place. It's also a safe place to him compared to home because Sam is just like literally more afraid of his father than he is of dealing with the Scary Night's Watch leaders, fighting the Free Folk, the Whites, and the others. All of these things are less scary to him than Randall Tarley. Right. Like even Darren. Darren is by all accounts an annoying ass person, right? I can't wait till we get to do some some Darren chapters here upcoming because he's just like you know the motherfucker vapes you know that he has probably a SoundCloud with maybe not so consistent music on it he's just one Uh of those motherfuckers and it's not even like he's not a menacing person Sam even recognizes he's like oh fuck this guy I could beat this dude up if I had to this guy's obnoxious uh Sam like is so confident now when it comes to knowing the watch the wall the people how to deal with them. <sighs> Even just that, like, John didn't lead with his plan. Maybe that's what I would have requested. Because instead... Yeah, right. Like, he gave him the three dots on Messenger. You know what I'm saying? He was, like, dot, 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 like, typing for eight years. Uh, yeah. Maybe lead with it, because that is very close to Horn Hill. He, like, buries the lead each time. He's like, oh, I'm sending Gilly. I'm sending Eamon. By the way, you're going- By the way, you're going to the Citadel. We're gonna, like, get to all that. It's just, like- It comes with that withholding. bomb after bomb, like, each time, right? It's not just one explosion. It's just, like, a series of, like, punch to the face. 
it's that guilt and that withholding and like trying to circumvent it and get away around it and like it's very frustrating because honestly had you told him earlier and been up front with it he probably could have helped you find a way out of it but that's the other part of it right that's the token john thinks this is the only way that he needs to kill yeah. the boy and he needs to do all this to save everyone. And if he can just do it and take care of it, everyone will be safe and everyone will turn out okay. And he can't ask for anyone's help because he has to just do it on his own. Yeah, that's not how, like, I feel management <laughs> works or leading. <laughs> that is not what the Night's Watch is about, you know? Uh, I mean, literally, you can't do it, like, on your own. That's not how it that's works. That's the whole point of the Night's Watch. <laughs> that's why there are teams. Uh, dying teams, but they're there. Uh, they anyway, are there. So, I don't, I don't even know if it's, like, guilt. Like, John, like, legitimately doesn't... Like, the guilt is, like, sending Sam. He doesn't even, like, consider all the other parts, you know? Like, yeah. he's just, like, I don't know, whatever. Compartmentalizing. He's, he's flailing. <laughs> Oh god. And and Sam kind of immediately lashes back. He's like, Eamon can't survive this. Who's gonna be manning our duties? And John's like, Clytus has it covered, and he's like, Are you sure? You that Clytus? You sure? So Can he you still imagine argues. That during the five year gap, does that mean like Clytus would oh have been god. Would Clytus have had to do this for five years? There would be three people left at the Night's Watch. <laughs> no messages, no internet. Oh my god. <laughs> John explains the risk for Aemon to stay is greater than him leaving. He's a king. Stannis knows that. The Red Woman knows that. Soon it could become important. John will be sending Darren with them, joining up at Eastwatch, maybe winning some men in the south with his songs for them. They would first be delivered to Bravos, where they would need to arrange passage to Old Town. If he still means to claim Gilly's child as his bastard, he could do so there, sending them on to Horn Hill. Otherwise, Aemon can help her find a servant's place, the Citadel. Sam begins to break it all down in his head that he'd need to send a letter to his mother and sisters that, well, I wouldn't actually have to go to Horn Hill, but, but what if he drowned on the ship? Ships sink all the time. What a great jump. I wouldn't have to talk to my dad. Hey, what if I drowned? That could work out. What if I drowned? Oh, I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like, it's so sad because, like, interspersed in all this, you see, like, Sam's interiority and he cannot get it out to tell John, you know, like, what his fear is. He just keeps being like, he's going to take care of the watch. But what about this thing? But what about this thing? And John just, like, refuses to see it. And, like, as you said, right? I mean, okay, ships are terrifying, very dangerous. Stannis lost his parents in a shipwreck. Anna and Elsa lost their parents in a shipwreck. And as you said, right, that jump from Sam, he's like, I could die. I could drown. And that would be a great way to not (laughs) have to see my dad. (laughs) He's like, this could really work out for me. I could just die in the middle of the ocean. Uh, Until he remembers like, oh yeah, what about Gilly and the child? He's like, fine. I guess guess the ship will have to survive. Fuck. And I mean, yeah, you really see the difference between earlier Sam, who, as you said, providing great advice to John, very smooth, very confident, saying a lot of things. Complete sentences, going about history, and then here, he can't even, like, form full sentences. He's stuttering, can't even get two words out. And, yeah, I mean, him failing to be able to voice his fears, it's it's a lot like John, hiding his reasons. Um, mm-hmm. 
first of all, like, hiding what he went through on the other side of the wall, but also when he met up with Mance, right? He hid his real reasons for joining Mance, but unfortunately none of these tricks that Sam is pulling work on John. Um, we're just going to come <laughs> back to more. There's a lot of Sam's trauma to unpack here. We'll come back to it. It does remind me of the beginning of Storm, right? When he's just in the snow and he's like, oh, just let me die. Yeah. Uh, that's such a mood. It is. That's him. He's like on the, he's like, oh, let me die on the ship. He's even like, <laughs> finally, how you know he's so traumatized right now is because he then says, well, Darren could just take Gilly, you know, to <laughs> Old Town. I don't have to. And totally, like, that. I mean, that's the person that's made him brave again, right? Like, that's the person he's relying on to help keep him bold and confident and able to be brave. So it's like, wow, you just straight up are like, what if I just didn't go and Gillian Darren went? Instead, uh, you know he's not in his perfect state of mind with that. Right. Uh, and he's like, I've been, I've been practicing at Longbow, you know, I don't know. And John's like, you're not He's important like, to be here. practice will keep me here. Oh, uh, Sam, you have not been practicing at Longbow is the first thing. Like, that's a fucking lie. And John's like, I have plenty of men here. And the Citadel has plenty of parchment as well as Longbows that you could practice with. And I need you to read and write. And I need you to become the new maester. Which, again, could have led with that. Uh, then you could have gotten the panic attack out of the way. Right? But... That's not how the book works for cohesive tension. And I do have to say, this is a perfect plot point because on reread, just the flow of A Feast for Crows, uh, the introduction to the Citadel in the prologue and its eerie mystery, Pate, the key, all of it, and the politics at play and some of the new players that we'll probably see in The Winds of Winter much more closely. Aaron's first chapter where you have baptisms at the beach. Kyburn's introduction in Cersei's chapter uh, the holy men on the road in Brienne's, and now here we are, we've arrived to take Sam to Old Town. As someone who didn't exactly finish their higher education after high school, let it be a little too high, if you know what I mean, I was supposed to complete due to a variety of reasons. Anyways, but th this whole idea of like Sam's character growth and the next destination for his character and what he needs to move his character to the next step in the story... Sam pursuing that higher education and what he wanted to pursue and that his father, obviously, as we're about to read, would not let him pursue uh, at any mm. means whatsoever. Like like you said, healing that childhood trauma instead of just shoving it down, putting it in a bin, closing the bin, sending it off to Essos uh, might be the, the safer way, right? Like this is how you prevent making complete broken man. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm sure Sam would prefer to go to Essos also. <laughs> uh, I don't know, not so much we're seeing, not so much. He's like, that's pretty far from Hornhill, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but, absolutely. Um, poor Sam. And here's here's what it looks like for him, you know, freaking out. The word made him flinch. No, father, please. I won't speak of it again. I swear it by the seven. Let me out. Please let me out. My lord, I... My work is here. The books... We'll be here when you return to us. Sam put a hand to his throat. He could almost feel the chain there, choking him. My lord, the citadel... 
They make you cut up corpses there? They make you wear a chain about your neck. If it is chains you want, come with me. For three days and three nights, Sam had sobbed himself to sleep, manacled hand and foot to a wall. The chain around his throat was so tight it broke the skin, and whenever he rolled the wrong way in his sleep, it would cut off his breath. I cannot wear a chain. You can't. You will. Maester Aemon is old and blind. His strength is leaving him. Who will take his place when he dies? John is puzzled by Sam's reaction. He thought that this would be like everything he wanted, right? A golden ticket to Wonka factory for Sam. But while Sam loves books, he's also very afraid of blood and healing others. And his hands are shaking and he shows John. He's Sam the scared, not Sam the slayer. John lets him have it. He says, what are you scared of? And he's like the chidings of old men. You fought others. You killed an other, Sam. It's so sad, right? Because, like, again, that's the point. That's how afraid Sam is of Randall. Like, an other is, again, literally preferable to dealing with Randall for Sam. And and I love, like, that this passage shows before Sam even responds. He's, say- he's talking about the corpses, right? He's saying he's scared of the corpses, but his body's not saying that. Because immediately his reaction is his hand goes to his throat. Right, he's just remembering that physical sensation. Yeah, like now he's full in and he just has to lie his way out because he's so fucking traumatized. Yeah. (sighs) John keeps going in on him, right? He's like, you lied and schemed and plotted to make me Lord Commander and now you will obey. John says he'll forge a chain and if he has to cut up corpses, so be it. At least in Old Town, the corpses don't object. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so we have the exchange of, John, I cannot disobey my father. John, he'd said, but John was gone. It was Lord Snow who faced him now, gray eyes as hard as ice. You have no father. Only brothers. Only us. Your life belongs to the Night's Watch, so go and stuff your small clothes into a sack, along with anything else you care to take to Old Town. You leave an hour before sunrise, and here's another order. From this day forth, you will not call yourself a craven. You faced more things this past year than most men face in a lifetime. You can face the Citadel, but you'll face it as a sworn brother of the Night's Watch. I can't command you to be brave, but I can command you to hide your fears. You said the word, Sam, remember? I am the sword in the darkness. But he was wretched that the sword in the darkness scared him. I... I'll try. You won't try. You will obey. Obey. Uh, uh. John's doing a really bad job of part, like passing on the career advice of fake it till you make it, Sam. Right? I feel like that's what John's trying to share because he's doing it. You know, just don't let them see you're afraid. Fake it. Seems like I can't. Talk about <laughs> Anna and Elsa, damn. Oh, true, true, true. Actually, though. Don't let <laughs> it show. So, I feel like John's taking on this kind of. As he becomes more like his father, Ned, right? And having this Lord's face, he ends up taking, I think, that paternal role in Sam's life by forcing him to obey, right? Because, again, that's what Randall wanted Sam to do obey, right? Making him go into harm. 
And, like, again, Sam's just, like, so traumatized that he cannot say why he doesn't want to go to the Citadel. And I'm like, yeah, Sam is now part of the Night's Watch. But, again, Randall's abuse was so deep that Sam's just having, like, panic attacks thinking about this. And, like, his father just physically tortured him so much that he just, like, has a negative Pavlovian response to even, like, the thought of becoming a maester or even stepping foot in the Citadel. And... I kind of think it's a little super shitty. I get why, because John's also got trauma, but he's like, Sam, you don't have a family anymore and they can no longer emotionally impact you. When John is over here being like, but what if I risked it all with this paper shield because I want the Lannisters to rot forever because of they, because of what they did to John's family that he's <laughs> supposed to not care about? <laughs> and... Also, how John ends up dying. <laughs> anyway, um, unfortunately, again, these two boys are not communicating well with one another because of their pain. But, I mean, you know, for, for John, right, it's a lot of different things. Like, the weight of being pushed into this very, very high management leadership position with absolutely none, no experience at all. And he's also, as we see from that John chapter, lashing out from the emotional weight of his discussion with Gilly. And I do kind of get a little bit of where John's coming from in that because, but I also think it's a little unfair to compare like, oh, Gilly didn't cry, right? Or stammer the way that Sam is, right? Gilly's very steeled in accepting what John asks of her and taking this other baby and leaving hers. And she has a really reserved reaction, but that's because Gilly doing that is also her own like that comes from her own trauma like that's a practice like survival response in order to minimize the abuse that she and her mother sister aunts there's hyphens between all of those words because they're all kind of the same thing uh would receive from her father from like their father husband sorry collective um and i mean yeah gilly had a lot of bravery in defying her father for the sake of her child but I mean, Sam doesn't have something like that means as much to him yet yeah. as Gilly did in that circumstance, right? To do something like that is this emotionally intensive and also like this huge traumatic thing, like when it came to her father. And that doesn't mean that just because Gilly did that, Sam or anyone else should have to like confront their abusers ever again either. But this is like a fabricated story, and you're supposed to, I guess, throw your characters into adversity. But whatever, right? I mean, that's part of the tension, for yeah. sure. It's and the plot. It's the strongest character. I mean, the pure fucking irony of all of it, right? Of Jon Snow making yeah. decisions about someone's child for a secret king is just out yeah. of control. Fucking hysterical. Uh, a how bastard could, how versus could a resist? king. It is yeah. very, how could he resist? It's a bastard versus a secret king. It, George, you're so cheeky. So cheeky. <laughs> cheeky. But I can also see, like, the trauma for John on that, too, of, like, yeah. knowing what he's doing to these children and separating them from what family they have left each and what that does to a person of not getting to know or be with your family, possibly. Because, like, right now, the hope is that maybe they can come back if the weather's clear, you know? But, like, the weather's not going to get clear because we still have two books. So. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't know if you, speaking of the Citadel, John, did you get your, like, white duh, like, uh, like your white pigeons? Because winter sorry. is here, bitch. Yeah. Or white ravens, sorry, they're not pigeons. Yeah. I keep, I, I cycle through a lot of birds there, but yeah tried also it doesn't matter you know i mean john's dead 
So Sam submits to all this and he's like, as my lord commands. And he's like, did Eamon know? And John's like, fuck yeah, Eamon knew. Of course he knew. It was half his idea. Oh my god. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, John uh. opens the door and he's like, there will be no farewells. The fewer that see you leave, the better. So the next thing Sam knows, he's stumbling up to Eamon, thinking about how he could hide. He could hide in the vaults. He could sneak up food for himself at night. He could go beyond the wall, but that would make no matter. He would get eaten and murdered within moments by free folk, is what he thinks. Uh this made me laugh because it kind of made me think of some of the lore we've talked about in the John chapters, right, of Arse and Ice Axe, uh, mm. and him trying to cross the wall by digging through its base, getting walled in alive, or Gendel and Gorn hiding under the place and getting killed on the other side. Yeah, yeah. They there couldn't a, do there's it. A, <laughs> yeah, they couldn't do it. But I think Sam and Gilly could do it if they wanted, except now they've got the others, so that that kind of sucks. Um, yeah. I, I noticed at the beginning of the chapter they said that they called like the tunnels in the Night's Watch the Wormways too. So mm-hmm. interesting. Yes, the Wormways. Um, yeah. Well, when Sam finally reaches Eamon, he gives him John's letter and blurts out all of his fears at once to this man, saying John doesn't understand. And Eamon shows a little more empathy, saying that you know his own father had the same objections. It was his father's father who had sent him to the Citadel eventually, and. King Darren had sired four sons and three had sons of their own. Too many dragons are as dangerous as too few, I heard his grace tell my lord father the day they sent me off. Eamon raised a spotted hand to the chain of many metals that dangled loose about his thin neck. The chain is heavy, Sam, but my grandsire had the right of it. So does your lord Snow. The ravens echo, Snow! in the background. Sam had taught them that word. <laughs> I love this. Adorable. I love it so much. Very cute. He's very proud, very pleased. But I also love that in the very first chapter, in the prologue for A Feast for Crows, we get this little passage. In the apple tree beside the water, a nightingale began to sing. It was a sweet sound, a welcome respite from harsh screams and endless quirking of ravens he had tended all day long. The white ravens knew his name and would mutter to each other whenever they caught sight of him. Pate! 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 Until he wanted to scream. The big (laughs) white birds were Archmaester Walgrave's pride. He wanted them to eat him when he died, but Pate half suspected they meant to eat him, too. (sighs) I love that. Rereading the prologue, I love some of these little parallels that, like, Pate and Walgrave are another universe, Sam and Eamon, right? Other Sam, yeah. if they were at the Citadel and instead of being here in the North. And, you know, we also actually get this line kind of talking about the theme of the mission, right? Where Alaris brings up the Beggar King had a sister and they argue, I thought her head was smashed against a wall. No, it was Prince Rhaegar's young son, Aegon, whose head was dashed. We speak of Rhaegar's sister, Daenerys. Interesting, interesting stuff. They're good chapters to kind of put next to each other. Uh, They are. If we were that kind of podcast, I would, but we're not. We're not those kind of girls. We wouldn't be on Feast if we were. That's true. We wouldn't be back at Feast. We would still, like, I don't know where we would be, but not here yet. Uh, I do think it's kind of unfair of Eamon to compare his situation to Sam's, but again, like, no one really knows that well. (laughs) 
what Sam underwent with all this because Eamon's all like, oh yeah, my dad also didn't want me going to the Citadel, but Grandpa King said I should go, King Grandpa. But I'm just like, I don't know, Eamon, your dad like was actually pretty nice to you. Like, I read The Hedge Knight, so I know <laughs> I've met him. Don't fucking lie to me. And also, I feel like your dad did not physically abuse and torture you to not go. And also, again, Grandpa King backed you up. And Sam has just been like, I don't know, he was alone and isolated when yeah. all of this happened. And like Randall also very much make, made sure of that. So it's pretty different, Eamon. That's the other thing. Like, also, Eamon, you didn't have your relationship with your brothers ruined because of it or your siblings and your family ruined over this. Yeah. You know, like Eamon still had correspondence with his siblings, even though he went to the wall after, etc. Like he... He literally still had to keep his family in some ways. He still lost them as well and suffered the loss of seeing his family die. And that that's yeah. why he's so open to this journey right now. He's like, fuck it. Let's do it. You only live once unless you're Jon Snow. Um, but Sam, I think it's I think they're both like complex situations, obviously, but it is unfair in some aspects. Jon got a very deeper talk in a Game of Thrones than what. Sam is getting from this now, but that's okay because he's going to get deeper talks over the next couple chapters. Yeah, he's going to get to see Eamon's trauma. It's exactly. fun. We're having fun. We're going to, exactly, that's kind of the bigger thing is like, this does feel unfair in the moment, but it gets unraveled, I feel like, over the next couple chapters. Just like and his then life. And dies yep. in front of Sam. It's fun. It's a whole new trauma. Sign up for more <laughs> for next week. Uh, so... In his heart of hearts, Sam knows Eamon won't survive this journey. Good eye, Sam. And he worries Gilly's son might die, too, because he's so small and he's not as strong as Dallas, boy. Haha, <laughs> don't worry Good about thing. that. <laughs> he thinks, does John mean to kill us all? The next morning, he saddles the mare that he rode in from Horn Hill. So the, the horse that he rode in on when he first came to the wall, he saddles her up. Aww. Her saddlebags are filled with cheese, sausage, and hard-cooked eggs, as well as half-assaulted ham that Hob gave him on his birthday. Aww. Hob had said, you're a good man who appreciates cooking, Slayer. We need more of your sort. That's so sweet That's to so me. That's so sweet. That's so sweet. He gave him assaulted ham on his birthday. If a cook gives you personal food, you know it's real. You know, like, that's a big step in a relationship. I know. I Damn. had a sushi chef like that, like... I don't know what it was, but they liked me. They were always like, "Try this, boom." <sighs> yeah, but then you end up you end up the test the guinea pig. You're like, "Uh." I am happy. Usually it's to good. Usually so. it's good. I would yeah. love to be Hobbs guinea pig all the time. Oh, oh. <laughs> you're right. I don't know. That really touched me. <laughs> it is touching, especially because we know that Sam has looked to food for comfort, right? Like. Because I feel that. food, yeah, I'm. I can't wait to hang up with your bitch ass and go eat tonight. Like that's, I want to eat more. A pair of two wheeled wains await Sam in the lickyard, since Eamon is too weak to ride a horse, and Gilly and her child could ride with him. The second wain would take their possessions as well as a chest of old rare books that Eamon thought the Citadel may want. That's so so cute. <laughs> Sam had only found one fourth of the super rare books, though. At this point, the wain is so overloaded. So that might be a good thing. And uh, speaking of cute things, Maester Eamon in a bearskin, three times the size. But it's like 
he almost falls over, so Sam has to, like, keep hold of him. Oh, this is all too sad. I can't. I can't read these. These are all too sad. Okay, well, you have to. I know. The blind man nodded as the wind pushed back their hoods. It is always warm in Old Town. There is an inn on an island in the Honeywine, where I used to go when I was a young novice. It will be pleasant to sit there once again, sipping cider. <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck, George? Why did you include this? But he's the one writing it. This isn't my fault. Don't at me. This is fucked up. Once they get the maester in the wane, Gilly and the child appear. Her eyes are red from crying and John turns up at the same time. Maester Eamon calls out to John, saying, I left you a book, the Jade Compendium, written by the Valentine adventurer Coloquo Votar. There's a passage marked for you that I think you'll find interesting. He tells him knowledge is a weapon. Arm yourself for battle, and John says he will. John turns to Blackjack Bulwer, telling him to make good time, but take no foolish risks. He's an, he has an old man and a suckling babe aboard. He tells Jack to keep them warm and fed, and Gilly pipes up, telling him to do the same, to find another wet nurse, like he promised. He says she has his word, and she tells him he better not name him, not till he's past two years, that it's ill luck, whether the crows know that or not. He says, as you command, my lady, and that, of course, sets Gilly off, and she says, don't you call me that. I'm a mother, not a lady. I'm Craster's wife and Craster's daughter and a mother. I... I guess we talked about this in John 2, but you know what? Let's do it again, all right? Because it's <laughs> great. This is a great moment. I love it. It's like legitimately, the more I think about it, I think one of the most surprising lines in the series to me, right? Because her denying that ladyship, but especially claiming, right, as though it's like a badge of honor uh, that she's Craster's wife and Craster's daughter. And then, yeah, she follows up with, like, Anna Mother. I, It's just, I think, it's so striking. It's not something you would think she would be proud of. And that makes it, I think, really well-written. Yeah, she's taking strength from her weakness, right? And this weakness is kind of a fatal flaw in the eyes of almost everyone else. Especially in Westeros, right? You show up and say that that to someone else in Westeros, to a normal human being that doesn't know the situation... In the South, right? She's going to show up in the South and maybe say this to someone and they might turn their nose up at her. Uh, this this weakness, her embracing it and having to let go of her son and what he means to her and what she suffered and also what he means to her like in the birth of that suffering and like the, the after, you know, the world after she finally escapes from the life she lived at Craster's Keep. Yeah, and I mean like what you're saying, right, about people judging her. I mean, we see Stannis do it. He's like, yeah, she's an abomination. Her kid, abomination. Abominations in general. And it's like, whoa, chill, homie. And <laughs> can't just go dropping the A-bomb everywhere. You can't just be calling people abominations or things that they didn't choose. But, like, that's the thing, right? She didn't choose it. And it, it's just so so interesting. And, like, it, she's doing what Tyrion told Jon that he should do. But Gilly's actually way better at it. Because she's she's owning this moment and she's taking pride in it. Like, you know, this is unfortunate, like a really like devastating part of like her specific like mini culture up there that doesn't fit into Westeros. And 
Yeah, I mean, she's finding strength in it in a way, like, I feel like Tyrion would preempt people and, like, oh, and, you know, oh, you know, he's a dwarf, but use it to, like, bludgeon himself, whereas Gilly is like, no, I have lived through this, like, and it's not, you can't pigeonhole me into being a lady. And there's almost something in it that's the prime example of something we spoke a lot about during John's chapters with kind of the free folk coming through the wall them having to give up their riches and pieces of their culture, right? Memories, jewelry, weaponry to pay for passage mm. at the wall into the realm. Gilly is making that ultimate sacrifice for a better life beyond the wall, not just for herself, but for her people, right? She She's giving mm-hmm. up her child, choosing to sacrifice so that Dalla and Mance's child might have a future, and be able to lead their people, the free folk, into having a better life here across the wall. And, you know, maybe Gilly's child will grow up at the watch under the guise of being Mance's son, right? Under the guise of being uh, a prince, a fake prince, basically, an Aegon, yeah. unless he's slaughtered, right, by Stannis and Melisandre, subnote, subnote. But at that same time, Gilly will be somewhere raising Mance's son, pretending he's her own. Craster's bastard secretly came to a people who suffered immensely to get relief from the others. As we know, like, royalty doesn't work the same way amongst the free folk, but regardless, like, Mance was so well esteemed, right? The child might not necessarily be a prince because that's not how kingship works, but it's kind of like, you know, Edric Storm speaking so proudly of his father, Robert Baratheon, right? And when you contrast that with, like, how Gilly is claiming being descended and then wedded to craster mm-hmm. like that pride is i think it's really interesting how you know she's found meaning and strength despite despite what she's been through and you know whatever like everyone has been through at the watch gilly's motherhood meant that she also faced ice demons Right, just like yeah. a lot of them did, I guess. But she also kind of, in a way, I would say, did it on like a more regular basis throughout her life because we all know now a little bit about what Craster was doing uh, with those sons, uh, and also she, like Sam, right? They they both faced their monsters at ho- in within their own home, right? Not just the others, in a very physical way, in a very like sexually abusive way, um, for both of them in different ways, like that. Not many of these other people understand. Like for Gilly, though, it was you know, more directly rape. And she knows that it's unfair, right? She raises Mance's son, mm-hmm. and she did briefly plea for Mance's life, and she's like, I don't understand, like, why Mance has to die, uh, when he was, like, a way better man than my dad. Like, that's pretty fucked up, that you're gonna execute him, and you let Crasser live this whole time. <laughs> and yeah. almost didn't rescue me, John. <laughs> so, he's also, so, like, I mean, there's an aspect of her denying that title of being a lady, she of being like, don't bother pretending that there's order or nobility in the world by calling me a lady. I know that there isn't. I don't fit within that confine. Yeah, she's also like quickly much more astute to realize all of it's bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. You all are big, fat, fucking feathered hypocrites, dude. Absolutely. Like, she went through all this shit to save her son and they're like, you know what your reward is for doing that? You have to do it again for someone else's kid. Serve, obey, bitch. Like, that's, yeah, yeah that's kind of how it She's feels. Like, I swore no oaths. She was just, like, guilted heavily into this. Uh, and she does it with grace, 
I mean, yeah, she does it with grace. Ed takes the babe from her while she gets settled in with some pelts around her. And then he hands him back. And Sam is busy gazing at Castle Black, thinking, this could be the last time I even see it. As much as he once hated it, now he's sad. He says farewell to Ed, and then it's time for a farewell with John. Hold on, I have to sit up for this. <laughs> She's the like, I gotta do a lot of John voicing. Yeah, I kind of lost it a little on the last one. Sorry, guys. I, I gotta be better this time to close it out. The first time I saw Gilly, she was pressed back against the wall of Craster's Keep. The skinny, dark-haired girl with her big belly, cringing away from Ghost. He had gotten in among her rabbits, and I think she was frightened he would tear her open and devour the babe. But it was not the wolf she should have been afraid of, was it? No, Sam thought. Craster was the danger, her own father. She has more courage than she knows. So do you, Sam. Have a swift, safe voyage, and take care of her, and Eamon, and the child. John smiled a strange, sad smile. And pull up your hood. The snowflakes are melting in your hair. <laughs> Don't touch me. First of all, Sam still hasn't gotten it, but John kind of just tried to nudge him, right? He was like, that wasn't the only wolf she should have been afraid of, huh? He's like, it's almost like you, Sam. <sighs> he betrayed this his own is... brother with snowflakes melting in their hair. Yeah, this is him saying, but not saying, I love you, bro. <laughs> I'm sorry, bro. Forgive me, bro. I love you. <sighs> and like you said, right, I, I do see what Sam is, I do see what John is getting at. I really do. And like you said, Gilly does it all with grace. She's very brave. She's very resourceful and she can spirit a child away. Again, she has proven it once and has been rewarded for her great job of doing this by having to do it again. Because uh, John is like, clearly they both make a very good team when it comes to kidnapping. So I believe in their success oh doing God. it again. But I mean, with Gilly, right? Again, she's more no oaths. She's, she's, again, like that embodiment of someone i don't know can someone do something and unfortunately this time that someone is gilly right if mm -hmm. not her john's like then who you know what gilly and sam have vibe wise also in some aspects some parallels there's many but what else real hashara vibes interesting just the idea of spiriting a child away howland and ned obviously had to kind of you know bring baby John all the way back from Dorne all the way up. But something about, like, Sam as the nerdy but also mystical BFF of Ned 2.0. Mm, yeah, yeah. And the, the baby swapping and lying about the children and towers, whether they're of joy or bullied. sadness. Yeah, and the bullying. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm serious. Yes, you're right. Yeah. That's, yeah, I feel like Gilly and Sam have some big Howland and Ashara vibes going on i hope they get to go be in a bog together that'd be cool i mean it could be fine if they were like i don't know old town seems like it has great weather yeah when we've it's not a lot about fucking burning down because of your on yeah exactly you know we've heard great great talk about um the cider from amen from maester amen we've yeah. heard great talk about the fruits from maester picel to ned he's like you know what was great the fruits over in old town and i was like okay picel <laughs> Uh, everyone seems to like it. Even Renly speaks yeah. of it, you know? 
Sounds like a great time. Fruit from the arbor. When it's not burning. Yeah. Uh, well, everyone, yep. book your vacation soon, because I hear that once the winds of winter come out, it's over for us. Euron Greyjoy is going to fuck that land up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, we, we, we might, it seems like we have a lot of time until then. <sighs> well, I think that's it for this chapter. Yeah, that's it for Sam 1 and A Feast for Crows. We'll be back next week with Sam 2 in A Feast for Crows. We're cruising on through and my cruising gosh, we'll have to through. announce a uh, we'll have to announce a new POV sooner or later. So keep an mm. ear out for that. Yes. And how will you ever learn of those announcements? By subscribing to us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N. And perhaps you have something you want to say, feel free to shoot us a DM or add us on Twitter. Or perhaps you would like to send us an email. You can at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you haven't already subscribed to us on a podcast streaming platform near you, please do so. Whichever your fave is, press the follow, whether it is Spotify, Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, iTunes, Audible, Amazon podcasts, pick one. They're all there. And hey, if you have a second, please leave us a review. Hopefully it's five stars. Feel free to talk about, I don't know, something Eliana likes or something I like or something you like. Eliana likes the reviews. Please do it. Please do it. I have no opinions. I think Chloe likes the review and she just wants to project it on me. Nope. This is a you thing. I don't like reading. We also have a Patreon. Uh, patrons in the Stranger Tier and above will get access to this month's special episode, March Shroom. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. Yeah, Stranger Tier and above get bonus episodes like that. And if you're in the Thunder Tier or above, you get access to our private Discord server where we chat with friends about everything and anything, whether it's shows, games, books, whatever we're doing currently listening to. And we also do a monthly brunch, which this month will be on March 20th, 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Eliana Time. So we would love to see you there. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. <sighs> there are snowflakes melting in our hair. Sobbing. One more page. <laughs> oh, that is kind of how it goes, though, isn't it? <sighs> you know what? The reading has always been the hardest. Wait, that's not the line. Sobbing another episode. <laughs> See you next week.